Our days were 24 hours. We would be given the messages that came through on the Morse and the teleprinters. We had a job to do and we did it. But once I got into uniform, I was a soldier and that made all the difference. We were proud that we had been there, but the men didn't want us because we hadn't signed up to go to the front line. I'd have gone and that's all there is to it. I was going to show them that I could do it, and I did. From Uniting, this is My Life at War, a six-part series featuring first-hand experiences of the everyday Australians who served in World War II. We spent the last year capturing these stories because we believe they need to be told. Each week, hear from some of our last remaining veterans and war historian David Wilson as we follow their journey through World War II. I'm Jefferson Spratt. And I'm Lee Taylor. Part 4. Women of the War. We need you in the West. Join today. Life under the best possible conditions. With free medical attention, free training, free uniforms and accessories, and the prospect of travel and promotion. Why don't you join the RANDs? Believe me, you'll be glad that you did. We heard about it, I suppose, uh, through the papers. Once uh, you turned 18, you could join up. This is Jean Turnbull. I served in the Women's Auxiliary Australian Air Force and I'm 97. Jean grew up in Richmond, New South Wales, near a Royal Australian Air Force base. Being so close to the military services, Jean was constantly reminded that she could play an important role in the war. I wanted to be able to do a job of some kind to help. I saw lots of WAF uh, travelling on the train and uh, I thought, well, if I join up, that'll be the service I'd like to go into. We wanted to do something to help. Having these women's services, it released the men to go further into the uh, battle areas. So that's what we did. We replaced the men. I uh, was only 17 and the uh, Women's Auxiliary Air Force, they commenced in 1941 and I joined in 1942. I uh, had to uh, go and fill in forms and uh, then I was called up for a medical and uh, then a month after I did my medical I was called up. And I was a pretty silly 18-year-old, a typical 18-year-old as they are today, I think. This is Marcia Halliday. I'm 93 years old and I was in the Army Medical during World War II. Marcia is a gentle yet straight-talking woman who takes pride in her appearance. She's wearing a pink sweater and a pastel pink scarf with matching lipstick. Anyone with a son and daughter of military age was scared that, that they, their child might have to go... My, nobody thought about me. <laughs> it 
They didn't know what a, a rebel I was. But her parents would soon find out. Friction between Marcia and her mum would lead to a decision that none of them saw coming. It was a, a boyfriend, well, an acquaintance really, <clears throat> that I was going out with that my mother didn't like. It was just somebody I'd met through work and uh, he didn't have a very good reputation. She didn't like me being involved with him. We were having a little hassle about that. So I just went out one day and saw the enrolment office there and thought, good, that's what I want to do. So I went in and, and signed up. Came back and said I've joined the army. <laughs> a week or so later, I got a, a call up. And I think Dad probably came with me and we, Mum was horrified. Parents didn't appreciate the joys of, of women in the army at that stage. No, it wasn't for my daughter, but it was. She just said, you know what I think about girls in the army? I, well, I didn't really. I'd never even broached the subject. But I said, well, no, you know, I'll, I'm different. I'll be right. <laughs> I'm sure we've all been frustrated with our parents before, but enlisting in the army... I wanted to know what Marsha was thinking when she signed up. Nothing really, just get in there and sign up. I want to be in the, in the Army Medical. I was out. I hadn't intended joining up. I hadn't even thought about it. Did you feel nervous I doing did. it? No, I don't, don't remember feeling nervous about it, no. You feel like you wanted to get away? Only in that moment, but at 18, no, I just wanted to show I could do something for myself. I just... I suppose I wanted to show that I could do something on my own. And I didn't realise what it, what it entailed. As a mother now, of course, I understand why. And I should have listened to her. As we all should listen to our parents, but we don't. We find out the hard way. Basically, there were two ways that women could help the war effort. This is war historian David Wilson. The first and most obvious one was to join one of the uniformed services. And the second way that they could contribute was by uh, going into one of the many civilian industries across the country. In industry, they worked in all kinds of things like clothing manufacture, textile manufacture, all kinds of factories, munitions, anything to sustain the war effort. And then, of course, there was the... Um, innovation of the Australian Women's Land Army, which was a scheme where uh, young women were taken from the cities and were uh, put out onto farms where they learned to be farmers and did every task from driving tractors to harvesting and distributing the crops that they grew. And what were the uniform services women could go into? There were four uniform services available for women at that time. Uh, the first one was the Australian Women's Army Service, the second was the uh, Women's Royal Australian Naval Service. Then there was the Australian Army Medical Women's Services, uh, and they worked in hospitals throughout Australia. And lastly, there was the WAF, the Women's Australian Auxiliary Air Force, probably one of the most popular areas of employment for women, where they became involved in skilled technical work, such as communications and signals work. I was a clerk, and we would... Um uh, be given the messages that came through on the Morse and the teleprinters. This room is a kind of nerve centre, a 
At naval bases all over the country, there are rooms like these, in constant touch with each other by radio, telephone, and teleprinter. A teleprinter is a cross between a telephone and a typewriter. It transmits and receives messages. A unit of the Navy may radio a message. This is retransmitted to its destination by teleprinter. Our days were 24 hours. We had shifts. We had a morning shift, an afternoon shift, and a night shift, which we called the dog watch. Uh, we were billeted. I um, spent the two years in Townsville. We lived in what had been a Catholic college for girls. The Air Force took over these residents, and that's where we lived. The area where I was, I think there was probably about 20 of us. You lived together, you worked together, you socialised together. Imagine eating, living and sleeping alongside your work colleagues. I wanted to know, did they all get on? Was there ever any conflict? Well, just what happens with with any um, group of people. Some were friendly, some weren't so friendly. Through my service years, I made wonderful friendships. I had some friends who uh, didn't survive the war. You would thought about the ones who, you know, weren't coming back. Well, you just gave them your friendship, your thoughts. Are you still in touch with any of them? I have none left. And when did your last friend pass away? About 12 months ago. And she lived in Tasmania and she lived to be 103. Oh, well, you know, it's inevitable. Life doesn't go on forever. You have your memories, lots of other memories you have. Just life. But once I got my uniform, that was it. I wasn't, I wasn't a person any longer. I was a uniform. Here's Marcia, who served in the Army Medical Corps. Every time we went out anywhere, the soldiers helped me because I wasn't in uniform. <laughs> the others had to lug their, their, their kit bag and things themselves. That rather amused me. But once I got into uniform, I was a soldier. And that made all the difference. How did they change? Well, from helping me to not helping me. They, they would help me with my kit bag in the beginning because I had a kit bag but I didn't have a uniform. I couldn't believe that it could change so quickly that they could see me as one thing one day and a totally different thing the next day. But that's how it was. She was a soldier now. Was it to toughen you up or was it...? What would... No, that was just the way the men reacted to women in uniform. Okay. I was just one of the many then. Throughout the series, we have heard our veterans speak of great pride in wearing their uniform. I wanted to know if this negative experience made Marsha feel any different. I felt wonderful when I finally got one that fitted me. I went out very, very happily in my uniform. I was so pleased with myself, you know. My khaki uniform, the cross on the sleeve to show I was in the Army Medical. Did it sink in a lot more what you'd done once you actually put the uniform on? I think when I left there and went home on leave, it did. Hmm. 
And I felt quite proud of myself as I walked up the street to, to my home because I was in uniform. I think they were quite pleased to see me when I got there. But <laughs> Obviously, your mum didn't want you to do it, but no. how, how was she towards you? Oh, she was horrified once I... Yeah. Once I was actually in the uniform, there was nothing she could do about it, so she accepted it. I wanted to know if Marsha's mum ever said that she was proud of her or if she ever alluded to it. Marsha tells me there was just one person from her family who showed up to her passing out ceremony. My mother actually came to that. Mm. Yes, we all marched beautifully. We'd been doing it for, for weeks. Oh, uh, no, that was, that was, I was good. It was good that she was there. I was pleased about that. Not surprised, but very pleased, yes. That was my mother. All is forgiven. Oh, I felt as though, yes. Mm. She was on my side at last. Looking back now, you know, having had children of my, of my own, I can see why she was upset about it at the time, and I would have been too. We upset our parents and didn't realise that we were doing that. Didn't realise what wonderful parents we had. They stuck by us. They were still there when we came back to normal again. <laughs> so Marsha has done it. She's in the Australian Army Medical Corps, but more importantly, she's won the approval of her mother. She is immediately sent to Concord Hospital in Sydney, where she would be assigned to a ward. But she's not prepared. There's just a hospital with all these young men who were injured or incapacitated in some way. We were supposed to be army medical, so we were assigned the medical ward. And I had no idea what she, what she did. There was no, no training going into it. We, we'd asked for army medical, and so that was what we got, but I wasn't qualified for it. You just did as you were told when you were in the army. Marsha remembers one particular patient that left her loss for words, a young man who served in New Guinea, now covered in a rash from head to toe. You know, some of them had been in horrendous places and come back and have ointment slapped on them by some unskilled hand. It wasn't very good. I tried to be as gentle as I could, I'm sure, but I was terrified. I was scared that I'd hurt him. You know. It was just white from there to there. So do you know what caused the rash? Did they tell you or they just said... Oh, I think it was the heat. He'd been up in New Guinea, I think. But you never got any details on the soldier you were looking after. He didn't speak and I didn't speak. I don't remember speaking to him anyhow. Mm. Or only saying I'm sorry all the time. I don't know, maybe I hurt him at times. I tried not to, I was as gentle as I could be. Felt terribly sorry for him. I wish I had gone in as an older person and maybe I could have talked a little to him anyhow. Not sure how to handle the situation, Marsha requests an immediate transfer. That it was too upsetting and I didn't want to upset him anymore. But I, I wasn't of any use in, in the Army Medical. I, could, I didn't know enough. After that experience, they just put me into the drugstore. Mm. And I told a, a big big fib and said I could type. I'd never seen a type, typewriter in my life. Somebody said to me, say you can type. So I said, I can type. You know, two hours later, you know, I'd have typed about two lines. The girls knew and covered up for me. With the help of her friends, Marsha learns to type and is enjoying working in the hospital drugstore. But one day, she is again confronted 
with the casualties of war. I was at the hospital when the uh, Japanese prisoners of war came back and that, that was a terrible experience. They were carried off in stretchers and mostly they couldn't walk, they were in a terrible state. But that was a shock to, to all of us. We, we just left everything we were doing and just crowded around to, to clap them and, you know, and cheer them on. Quite large numbers of them being taken out of these trucks. Some of them were waving and pleased to be there, but mostly they were just so ill. They, they didn't care who, who was looking or what was going on around them. It was very upsetting just to see them. These poor fellows. You realise what, what they were facing. And they were the ones who were lucky enough to survive, but my goodness, they were surviving in a terrible condition. These, these men didn't want to talk about what they'd lived through. It was over, and they wanted to forget as quickly as they could. You soon learned if you asked them a question and they turned away, they started talking about something else. Australia couldn't have functioned without its women. By the end of the war, 200,000 women had served in various capacities, and of those, 50,000 had served in uniform. They performed hundreds of trades like engine fitters, telegraphists, clerks, cooks, and photographers. However, many women felt that they didn't get the credit and recognition that they deserved. And besides that, on average, they were only earning two-thirds of the pay rates of men. Also, the significance of the women's contribution was often lost on the men returning from overseas. They didn't feel that the women deserved the credit because they hadn't fought on the front line as the men had. With a few of my friends, we went into March on the Anzac Day March. We were proud that we had been there, but the men didn't want us because we hadn't signed up to go to the front line. It was upsetting at the time. Just we did what we could. We volunteered to, to be there. And there wasn't any reason why we shouldn't be marching. But not, not because we'd, we'd won anything or done anything marvellous, but we had volunteered to be there. We could have been called up at any stage. And they were arguing with us, but you know, to, to get out of the, the line, we, were, we shouldn't be there. One of the men came over to see what was going on and they, he roared at them for, for being like that. But, yeah, we had every right to be there, even though we were still in uniform, even though we weren't going overseas. It, it took a while and finally they convinced them that we should be there. So we marched with our chests stuck out and the, one of the broadcasters and said, you know, and here come the Amwers and look how they're marching, you know. And, well, we were so proud of being in, in the march and in uniform. It was lovely to march after we got over the rejection. We felt part of the, the march, but we would never do it again. We weren't prepared to go through that a second time with the servicemen rejecting us. The men accepted us when we weren't trying to break into the, into the lines and march with them. Mm. But they didn't want us as equals. Mm. Some of the women should get a lot of recognition. They did wonderful things. But that's how it goes. Well, I've 
told it as best I could for you. I was somebody who did what they could when it was necessary. I think it changed my life. Oh, well, I'm happy that I was there, yes. Mm. But I think now, knowing what it was like, I would try to get a bit, bit more knowledge before I went in. Mm. I went in because you know, nursing was... Medical things were always my interest, but I didn't know enough about them to, to be of any use. It was just something I wanted to do. Never thought about it. What it would entail, I was going to show them that I could do it, and I did. I learned a lot about myself, that I wasn't as good as I thought I was, <laughs> that I was quite capable of learning things, which I did. That was just a period in my life. I did what I could. There were a number of similarities between the service women and enlisted Indigenous soldiers during World War II. Both groups stepped forward to defend their country and were proud to serve. However, they both also faced unique challenges. We are immensely proud of our Indigenous veterans. We can only imagine what it's like these days to put on a uniform and go to fight a war and put your life on the line and not be able to vote in your own country. How do you, how do you come to terms with that sort of thinking? It didn't stop them. And I think that's the spirit of our warriors. And these men were warriors. That's next time on My Life at War. This series is brought to you by Uniting. It wouldn't have been possible without the incredible veterans currently living in Uniting residential aged care throughout New South Wales and the ACT. You can see their service photos, exclusive videos, and so much more at uniting.org veterans. There's a link in the show notes. To make sure you don't miss an episode, click on the subscribe button in your podcast app. It's free. If you like the episode, please leave us a review. We really appreciate your feedback and it helps other people find the show. This episode was produced by Tribecast Media and was created and written by me, Lee Taylor. And me, Jefferson Spratt. Post-production by Deadset Studios, including story editing from Kelly Reardon and sound design by Bryce Halliday. A special thanks as well to David Wilson, our war historian. <laughs>